This is a Mortarbox Media Podcast. For more podcasts and to learn how we can help you create your own, visit mortarboxmedia.com. Hey, welcome to the Madison Story Slam podcast. It's me, your host, Adam Rosted. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you do us a favor, hit the subscribe button, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts app, or wherever you can do such a thing. That helps so much. It helps people find the show and helps me know what you're thinking about the show. On today's episode, we have two stories, one from my dad, David Rosted, and before that, one from Jessica Regan, and we are looking forward to those. But before we hear some stories, let's hear a little bit of business. Coming up this week, this Saturday, February 16th, at the Wilmar Center in Madison, Wisconsin, we have our next live event, and the theme is Scars. It's the third time we've done that theme, and uh, it's our most often requested theme, and we always have great stories when we do it, so we are looking forward a ton to that event. So come on out. Doors open at 6. Stories start at 7. Seats will fill up early and fast. And then on Saturday, March 16th at the Wilmar Center, we will have our story slam and the theme is courage. But for the very first time ever in the history of Madison Story Slam, we will also have a small concert that night. Musician Nicholas Blazina of the band State and Madison is doing his solo acoustic tour and he is coming and he's going to do a great, great job at that event. So join us for an evening of stories and song on March 16th. And now, here's Jessica. So I guess the last storyteller isn't eligible for the costume contest, which is fine, um, because in full disclosure, I don't know what classic rock looks like, and Google wasn't helpful, so I ended up with dress and boots, but got cold, so put on a jacket that makes me look like a British shoulder from Hamilton. Um, So that's just what we were going with today. That's where we're at. Um, So the theme, Under Pressure, it is my understanding that perhaps women in society may feel under pressure to have children. Um, I say that without a lot of confidence because I don't actually know that to be true, but it's what I've heard and it's what you can see on TV if you look for it, that um, somebody partners up and the first thing the mother asks is when are you giving me a grandchild or um, pressure from peers that are going through that stage in life and that sort of thing. Um, That there may be this expectation and I'm fine with that I think, not because I think people should be shoulded into doing what they don't necessarily want to do, but um, that I had always had that expectation for myself as a young girl growing up, if you had asked me what do you want to be when you grow up, my first answer would have been a mom. And then I would have like thought about the other things that would have been, um, you know, more the answer that people were expecting in terms of career or whatever. But I had always seen myself as becoming a mom. And so that expectation and that perhaps pressure didn't really bother me. Um, and so last month I told a story about I think a few summers ago, really feeling kind of stuck at the end of a script where I had done all the things I was supposed to do by age 30, and um, but it ended up without kids, and um, mentioned infertility as a piece of that. And so just wanted to talk a little bit more about 
that process and what the past 10 years of marriage have looked like for us because we were very much expecting that you get married and you have kids and it's easy and it's wonderful and it's just how things work. Um, and so we had tried for many years after we had first gotten married and found that things weren't happening, but that's okay, that's normal. Um, and so we still had that expectation there that this would all work out. A few years into our marriage, we sought help and we went and saw a medical professional and we um, did testing and the fertility specialist that we had talked to essentially said, um, you can give up that expectation based on your test results, you shouldn't expect to conceive. And in fact, the numbers are such that it doesn't really even make sense to try to go the uh, medical intervention ways that some people can go about trying to have kids that way. And so we let go of that expectation, but not the hope, right? Because people get that kind of news and miracles happen every day. And sometimes when you just let go of the pressure and you just live your life, things happen. So we continue to live our lives hoping, um, though not expecting that children would be part of our family and future together. And years went on and that didn't happen. And Slowly but surely, I think we had come to a place where we were really starting to accept that and start to imagine more purposefully what will our life look like without kids. Um, and I started to really embrace the benefits of not having kids, such as having the money and the freedom and the sleep and the travel and all of the really great things that can go along with the child-free lifestyle. Um, and, you know, started looking around and my attitude towards children had changed, and I'm sure part of that was because we couldn't and didn't have any. But gosh, they're annoying, and gosh, they're needy, and gosh, they're loud. And started to you know, be that person that when a new baby came through for an office visit, um, you know, I don't need to hold the baby, that's fine. Uh, congratulations, I'm sure your kid is great. Um, I get how they're necessary for continuation of society and all of these things, but they're just not for me. Um, but hey, congratulations, really happy for you. I have to admit, I was that friend that withdrew when peers and friends were having kids and focusing their lives on their children, as they very well should, right? Um, and became that person that identified very proudly, in fact, as a dink. So as we were doing like identity conversations at work and thinking about which identities are most salient and important, that dual income, no kids, was a really big part of that. And there are dink communities and groups of couples that like to do fun things that they feel like they can do because they don't have children in their life. Um, so got to meet some really great folks that way. And a, a friend of mine in that group was very clear to clarify that Dink and pre-kids are two very different things. And so this is a purposeful decision that you're making and you are really fully embracing that 100%. Um, and so that's where we've been. And then, so part of that, again, child-free lifestyles, being able to travel on a whim and go places for long amounts of time. So we just celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary this fall. To celebrate, we did a two-week trip through Europe. We went to Paris, and we went to Amsterdam, and we went to Belgium, and it was 
great. It, you know, and I came back from that trip and I'm like, yeah, it was great. Um, recognizing like the privilege that it sounds like I carry when it's like, yeah, Europe, it was fine. We did all the touristy things and we went to the places and we ate the food and yeah, it was good. Um, and where, how do I want to say this? The thing that I think um, we brought back from Europe is something that we very much weren't expecting. And I stand here tonight telling you all of these stories from the past 10 years of our marriage and the stages that we've been through, um, three months pregnant. And that was a result of that Europe trip. Thank you. And again, being out of that normal environment and being without the pressure of this is something that we're hoping and expecting and people around us are expecting of us, um, ultimately, I think, resulted in a miracle. And a miracle that we had always wanted, always hoped for, always dreamed of, and had come to a place where we realized um, perhaps was never going to be or meant to be. Um, and here we are. So that's, I think, the ways that I've changed since then have been unbelievable in the way that I look around at the world around me. Um, and I see people in a crowd and I think, you were a baby once, you came from a person. I wonder what that was like for you as a baby growing and I wonder what that was like for your parents and how they felt when they found out and what that process was like for them. Um, and I hear people tell their stories and I think, that's going to be me. I'm going to be a parent, and I'm going to have those stories, and I'm going to have those moments. Um, you know, Tyson was talking last month about the transformation of the words that his father told him, that you're the best thing that ever happened to me, and how he then shared that with his daughter. And you hear things in a different way, and you start to really see yourself in that. And for me, at least, it's been... Um, just completely profound in the way that I think about people and I notice things. And it's been really neat. And Marty, I love you. You said that fatherhood you imagine to be the end of your life. Um, for me, this is for me, this is just the beginning. And I really can't. Thank you, Jessica. And by the way, from all of us here at Madison Story Slam and from everybody in the community. Congratulations. A little more info about our Story Slam Courage, an evening of stories and song that's happening on Saturday, March 16th. We're featuring Nicholas Blazina of the band State and Madison. He's doing a solo acoustic tour throughout the country, and it's going to be awesome. Just so you know, for the very first time ever, we will be charging at the door for this event. It's only $5. It gets you a raffle ticket and entrance to the show. It's going to be a great time. We cannot wait. We want to see you there. So come on out. Up next, it's David Rostet. Uh, uh, my uh, life, I'm very happy to tell you, has been uh, incredibly blessed in so many different ways. Uh, I, uh, 61 years of life, hey? Right? 61, that's pretty good. From the standpoint of pressure, di different jobs and different activities that I've been involved in throughout my life. When I was in my mid-20s, I uh, worked with uh, uh, bulls. Bulls, no, dairy bulls, Holstein bulls, 2,800 pound 
bulls on a very, very close basis. I mean, like, you know, a few feet. I have been charged at by dairy bulls and slipped behind the bars of a corral in uh, just moments to avoid having their massive skull hit that, uh, hit that uh, metal tubing and not me. Uh, I was a pastor for 30 years, and as a pastor, I was involved in uh, life and death decisions from the time I was about 26 years old. I helped families make uh, decisions about whether or not they were gonna take people off of life support. Uh, and and that, was, that was incredibly, incredibly intense and a great deal of pressure. The funny thing about pressure is you, in those kind of situations, you don't really notice it in the moment. You notice it as an after effect. And I've had many traumatic kind of events that have created the pressurized act after effect of, uh, of those events. But I got to tell you that the most pressure I have ever felt in my entire life was not in all these life-threatening situations. I've had people come after me with guns and threaten to shoot me. I've had people pull knives on me and, uh, and tell me they were going to kill me. I've had people, and this is all in pastoral ministry, mind you. <laughs> I've broken up family squabbles where I didn't know who was going to attack me from one side or the other. But the most pressure, two situations that I have felt the most pressure in. Number one was in fifth grade with Mr. Stevens, the band instructor. And when I had to go and play my saxophone for one hour a week alone in front of him, it was the most pressure I have ever felt except this. I am slightly on the scale of, uh, of this disability uh, called dyscalculia. Now, I'm sure you've all heard about, you know, the idea of, uh, of people who have problems with reading. I have problems with numbers. I can remember every word that you say to me in a conversation verbatim. I have the ability to read a book, and if you ask me about a subject, my mind does an index file, and it goes through the book that I've read, the page that it's on, and the paragraph that it's in. But in numbers, I am lost. And so the two things that were the most difficult for me were, number one, being called to the blackboard by the algebra teacher to do an equation in front of the whole class. That was the scariest thing in the entire world. The second thing has to do with numbers as well, and <clears throat> it had to do with this. When you were in grade school, here's what you did. You went to, your, at least my grade school, you went to the grade school, you went to your hallway, and when you came into the hallway in winter and you hung up your coat, you did what? You hung it on a hook in the hallway. And then all of a sudden you were going to middle school and they gave you a lock with numbers on it. And you had to memorize that stupid combination. You had to memorize three turns to the right to number eight, 
two turns to the left to number 42, three, whatever it was. And my biggest fear was always that I would forget my locker combination because they only gave you three minutes in between classes, right? And it was so scary to me because I could never remember it. When I got older, when I had a bicycle lock, I bought one that had letters on it because I could remember letters as opposed to numbers. And so the difficulty for me and the most pressure I experienced, even to this day, has to do with numbers. It's the thing I avoid the most. So when it comes to balancing a checkbook, I'm like, eh, I got money in there. When it comes to writing down a serial number in my occupation that I'm involved in now, I have to be very meticulous to get it down just right. When I write down a price quote to somebody, I have to make sure that I am totally conscious of what's going on with that regard. And so, to me, the scariest, most pressure-oriented thing in my entire life is numbers. Now, I know that there are people out there who are going, numbers are pretty, oh, thank you, please be empathetic with me. I hate, I hate numbers. I hate them. But I discovered something once my freshman year in college. And my freshman year in college, I took a philosophy of logic course. Thoughts, ideas, perspectives in a mathematical formula. And for the very first time, I'm studying the philosophy of logic and all of a sudden I went, damn, why didn't somebody teach me this in third grade? because then I would have understood numbers. Thank you. Big thank you to both Jessica Regan and my dad, David Rosted, for sharing your stories with us at our live events and for letting them be on the podcast where more people can hear them and learn from them and grow in community with us. We wouldn't be able to do this without storytellers like Jessica and David. So if you want to come be a part of what we do at Madison Story Slam, the best way to do that is come to one of our live events. Our next one is Saturday, February 16th at the Wilmar Center. The theme is scars, so come tell or hear some great stories about scars. And they can be any kind of scar story that you have, whether it be a physical, emotional, whatever. And then on March 16th, Saturday, March 16th, again at the Wilmar Center, we are hosting an evening of stories and song. The theme for stories is courage. Half the night will be storytelling. And then Nicholas Blazina, the frontman of the band State and Madison, is doing a solo acoustic set of amazing songs. And you will not want to miss this. I love Nicholas's music. He writes great stories in the form of songs, and so it fits very well with what we're doing. It's $5 at the door, gets you a raffle ticket, and gets you into the show, and you're not going to want to miss this. Thanks again for tuning in, and as always, I love you.